for all the neural engineers who will be listening to this podcast. We have some news for you. IEEE is extending the early bird registrations for a limited number of registrants. We will announce the code towards the end of the episode, so please listen to the entire episode and get the code to register for the early bird registration despite the early bird registration deadline having passed. focus on pretty interesting science, technology, and or people on scraps. But I've been feeling a little nostalgic and I'm really dying to get back into in-person conferences. I know I sound like a geek, but I love conferences. I love them. I miss them. I need them. They are, for me, the most effective way to connect. I know I'm not alone in this. Arun was kind enough this week to let me embrace this nostalgia, and so we invited Professor Silvestro Michera and Professor Thomas Stieglitz onto the show. These fine gentlemen are the co-chairs of NER, IEEE's Biannual Neural Engineering Conference. In full disclosure, I'm also on the organizing committee, but I play a much smaller role. NER is one of my all-time favorite meetings, and so when we were forced to commit to a virtual event for its 20th anniversary, I'm not going to lie to you, I did get a little weepy. I think that in our conversation together, Silvestro and Thomas were able to articulate why NER and so many other meetings for that matter are so important. This is our family. We've grown up together and we'll grow old together. It's my hope that NER is the last major conference that is required to be exclusively virtual. I need to hug my family. Until then, listen in and I hope this episode provides you with a small dose of your family. And thank you both for joining us today. I know you guys are very busy, not only with your day jobs, but with um, the imminent arrival of, of Neural Engineering, uh, the 20th anniversary conference. Um, and it's, it's being called this year, 20 years of potential turning potential into action. So um, before we get started with that, maybe both of you could talk a little bit more about um, what's happening in your day jobs at your labs. What are you working on and, and what are you excited about there? But before we go there, Jojo, I just want to point to all the listeners, the wonderful sounds of the birds in the background. That's not from, from my recording site or from Jojo's. It's basically from Silvestro, who is sitting outside in, the, in what looks like is probably his garden, where he has chirping birds and tweeting birds all around him uh, at this point of time. So w- with that, Silvestro, over to you. Thanks a lot. I mean, I, first of all, I have to apologize. It's quite a... Um, a weird maybe uh, location for an interview. Uh, thanks a lot. So I'm a professor of neural engineering between Scuola Sant'Anna in Italy and the Ecole Polytechnique Federale de Lausanne in Switzerland. And I work, of course, on neural engineering and in particular on translational neural engineering. So to, what we are trying to do is to bring uh, uh, devices like the ones that uh, Thomas is working on and the know-how into clinical practice together uh, and with clinicians. So we have been working on different applications ranging for prosthesis for amputees, stimulation for paralyzed people and other things. 
and I'm one of the, the two general chairs of the Neural Engineering Conference, uh, which is going to happen soon. Yeah, so I can back that up. My name is Thomas Stieglitz, and I'm the second general chair of that uh, Neural Engineering Conference. I'm professor for biomedical microtechnology at the University of Freiburg in Germany. Um, and we are working on interfaces. That means on very small, tiny, and hopefully robust and uh, long-lasting implants uh, to interface technology with the nerves. And that was what Sylvester was referring to. So applications look um, always very exciting, ranging from things that Sylvester said, spinal cord injured patients, make them walk again or grasp again, make the blind see. Um, also in the field of bioelectronics medicine uh, to drive down high blood pressure by electrical stimulation. And while all those narratives and storylines are really very exciting, the, the daily work is much more tedious and, and laborious. So, so it's really on the tiny little bits and pieces that things do not fall apart, uh, that they do not harm the body, that they did not get eaten up by whatever is around in the body. And that's part of my work um, as engineer to make them as long lasting and stable and robust and invisible as possible. So for a physiologist and a pharmacologist like myself, uh, which is what my initial training was, I'm not, uh, I d I'm not an engineer by any strength of imagination. I think my introduction, the way I always describe both of you, is that Thomas was actually doing cuff electrodes when everybody else was going into kind of intrafascicular electrodes, and, and, but still he actually made cuff electrodes really happen both on on the human side as well as that and silvestro i think for me some of your work uh, etc in the past with respect to the intrafascicular electrodes etc is is extremely seminal so therefore for people who actually listen to us who are not neural engineers uh, who don't know much about it i think i think we are actually speaking to two of the stalwarts in the area of of neural interfacing with, uh, engineering at this point of time. Um, uh, thanks so much for joining us anyway. Thanks. Um, so do you want to start off by telling us a bit about the impending conference, as you suggested, which is the NER, the neural interfacing, or uh, yeah, the, the NER 2021? Yeah, I can start. So, so probably an historical view if you would have told somebody uh, about neural engineering 20 years ago, they would have said, ah, I know what that is. That is the part of the Society for Neuroscience meeting where the persons meet uh, to twist wires to something together that we can record from. Um, and indeed, the, the first neural engineering conference 20 years ago was, was kind of a family meeting with not so many persons around. And there were a lot of initiatives because the society was a kind of rearranging. So biomedical engineering got broader and broader. Uh, and due to some whatever funding programs, terminology changed. And neural engineering one was one of those new buzzwords to bring engineers, physiologists, uh, neurologists, and probably others together to, to take a joint look and to multicolored picture how to bring technology and the needs from 
neuroscience and, and neurology, neurosurgery together. And then persons from rehab engineering joined and came out. Computational neuroscience is also something that is very beneficial and could be inherited. And so it gets more and more colorful over the years. That's true. And something, sorry, no, I was just to add, sorry, uh, something very interesting that when this, it started, the very first conference was an intuition by Metina Kai and other people that were being a, all the pioneers in the field. And it was done in Capri. You know, Capri Island is a very super cool island, but they were able to do it because, they, as Thomas said, was a very small community, you know, a family going on a vacation, kind of, together in Capri. Now, when we tried to do it, to organize it after 20 years, Metin came back to us and said, should we do it in Capri again? And, you know, there is no way you can do it with 500 people in Capri. You know, you are going to occupy all the island, which is not And Sophia Lauren right? is not going to be happy there is only, uh, because she lives on the Amalfi Coast anyway. Th that's why, I mean. But, but the, the idea is what we realized that the, the, the family became pretty large. And uh, in 20 years, it's not possible anymore to, to be a small family. If we are a modern family, you know, with all, all relative siblings and people going around with a lot of connections. Well, and with family comes a little bit of infighting, too. I mean, they can't, you can't have a family with a, without a few uh, discordant moments. Um, so have, have both of you gone of to all 10 of the, well, what will be the 10th NER conference? No, actually, I missed the first Me one. Me too. I don't, remember, I don't remember why. Maybe I, I guess I was too young and my supervisor told me, you know, Silvestro, you don't go to Capri. I go to Capri, kind of. No, I'm kidding. I don't remember why. No, I'm kidding. I don't remember why, but I missed the first one, actually. So the NER conference then brings together both um, kind of the neural engineering as it pertains to both central nervous system as well as the peripheral nervous system, correct? Um, yes, and, and everything that and, comes with it. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I'm very happy uh, what we did with Thomas, I guess, this year. You are going to see in few in few weeks. It will be virtual, as you know. But I think we got a lot of interest and participation also from non-engineering community. Also, thanks to Jojo, we organized uh, a two symposia with Asia. Uh, and this, uh, something somebody from IFES, the... Society for Functional Ethical Stimulation also, a lot of neuroscientists, material scientists. So again, the family is becoming more and more diversified. And that's something, honestly, I'm very much proud of. Uh, I guess it will be uh, really funny this year, more than uh, usually, even more, uh, yeah. because of this uh, large family. And, and no, that's fantastic. Married and 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 all of the in-laws now are coming from different yeah. factions. And and, and as as you grow as a family, it's always that you get older and older, and as benefit from that, you get more younger persons, your children and grandchildren from let's say from other disciplines right. from the same discipline, and and this is really beautiful that that this is by its size, it's it has grown, but it's still in a size where where. PhD students can meet um, senior scientists and their heroes uh, from all the papers in the field on a single conference. And I think this has, has been one of the key issues of all neural engineering conferences that you give room for social interaction, for scientific interaction, 
and that you have that spirit that everybody can ask any question to everybody. And I think this is probably a difference to other conferences that grow larger and larger where you see persons from far but you're not able to approach them. And, and we, I think we can, we try our best even in the virtual conference to get that close interaction with the formats that we have and that we strengthened this year that persons can come together, can, can listen to the discussions of the old guys and girls, but can also interact then uh, by chat, by, by personal interactions uh, with, with those experts. The first time I met you, Thomas, was at NER in Shanghai, and and it was great. It was exactly that. We actually went and had lunch. We had a small group of people, and and you were most welcoming and accommodating, which I'm grateful for because you scared the hell out of me. I was so scared of you. I'm not an engineer, but you you had this sort of like this legend around you. I'm oh, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I should get rid of that, right? But you know, I. No, no, Jojo, I can tell you, I've been working with this guy for 20 years, and I'm still scared. Yeah. Eh? When I talk no, to him, I'm still... Come on, come on. <laughs> no, but really, uh, I, I agree, I agree. I mean, it's uh, the, the kind of network that keeps uh, in uh, over time, over the years. No, what is really cool, uh, even if you meet people only during the conference... It's kind of the old friend you are meeting from time to time and you talk and you discuss. There are really people that more or less I'm able to meet only during the conference. And it's really a good way to, to stay with the family. Again, you know, for, for Thanksgiving, you go and meet the old part of the family you see only once a year. More or less the same stuff. No, and, and I think, and I think, what Thomas actually really said there is extremely important because one of our first guests on the podcast, which who you might really know from the area, Warren Grill, kind of said that the biggest formative experience of his career was really the time that they got to spend when the whole neural interfaces conference used to be run at the National Institute of Health campus in in Maryland. And where it where during lunch they had enough time, but then as the conference kind of grew bigger, etc., it it actually has transformed or morphed into something where the social interactions has actually become very minimal. But it looks like you folks are keeping that social interaction piece very much intact in your conference, etc. But can I just ask both of you just to say a bit more about you've been through many conferences in Sylvester's case. Uh, or, or both of your cases, barring the first one, um, I think as a community of of neural engineers, um, just for the people who are who are non initiated in this area, can you tell us a bit more about what has been the most important outcome of of the conference in the area, or the influence that this conference has had on in research in the whole neural engineering area as chairs of this year's conference? I do, or you start. Start, please. I start. Haha, <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, it's, it is complicated. I would say that uh, uh, there are at least a couple of things which come into my mind. Uh, one is definitely all the activities uh, on, let's say, uh, amputees and prosthesis. Of course, I have a personal bias on that. We have a personal yeah. bias on that. Uh, but clearly, that's something which really started, really started. Uh, of course, I mean, if you think about the Dubrovnik conference in the 60s, everything started there. 
but let's say uh, that was a seed that grew also uh, over time uh, thanks to this conference. That's maybe one example. And the other one maybe could be really the collaboration, the increased number of collaborations with clinical people, and in particular for stroke and, and spinal cord injury. So that's why I'm also very happy about this uh, symposia that I mentioned before, because clearly, you know, over time, it really became, it started, uh, sorry, it started like a conference only of engineers, and then growing up became really a conference where you can find also other people, because in my case of European projects, uh, for example, bringing, or, and Thomas as well, so you bring the clinician involved in the project, but clearly I would say, uh, this ability of creating connection with clinicians, in particular for stroke and spinal cord injury, and at least in my case for the amputees. Yeah, I would would like to add something. I completely agree, and that was really one of the iconic uh, moments when when those clinicians were there, um, and and it was was a yeah. A, a, a joint society or joint feeling they are not not um, clinicians are educating engineers or en engineers are educating um, clinicians and I think this is this is really one of the the advantages that people talk to each other and not about each other there um, the second thing and that started probably 20 years ago was lying that seat that um, Implants and technologies are not only part of the <clears throat> MEMS, so the Microelectronic Mechanical Systems Conference, or of whatever the ISSCC, so the Solid State Circuits Conference, from the electronics part, that, that there is something that material scientists and engineers could bring into that community and that it needs a common language to bring those technological gadgets into humans. I mean, one could say everything started with Ken Weiss' first uh, Michigan probe that was done not at Michigan, but in 69, or, or the first Utah array. But it was really that spirit that you can go beyond uh, Michigan probes and Utah arrays, and that you can do something that goes also from the neuroscience into clinical application and, and that was always the spirit there. You you are allowed to go towards fundamental neuroscience there, you have your fundamental science, you have your clinical science, but it's not an either or, it's very inclusive there and this is the driving spirit of, of that conference series. And uh, Arun, sorry if, sorry, if I may, uh, thinking, talking, I mean, listening to, to Thomas, uh, it reminds me also the people who are going to be the keynote speaker this year, right? And if you look at them, there are people working on microtechnology, wearable sensors, uh, neuropsychology, neuroscience, translational neural engineering. So you really see, and, and it happened just discussing among the organizing committee uh, people, you see that all this diversity also in the community and in the number of people, the different people will be the keynote speakers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, in addition to all the things that you have mentioned in respect to the work that has happened on the neuroprosthetic side between the two of you, I think other important kind of contributions that has come from the area is kind of the 
the company that that came out of EPFL, which is one of your organizations anyway, Silvestro, that you work for, uh, Stephanie's company, uh, Stephanie Lacour's company, as well as um, kind of Grigor Cortine's company onward. I, I, I'm uh, also, which is now I'm also a founder with the zero 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 zero. That is exactly one why I brought it up, kind right? of, you know. I have one one billion part. No, no, it's that I am. It's it's extremely important, right? Because I think it's it's so impactful that that we can actually talk about such technologies, uh, especially when you talk about translational neural engineering. I think it's so important to say that technologies that actually resided in your laboratories between yourself and a lot of your peers in the area over the last kind of twenty years, from going back to the first. Uh, um, anniversary meet or the, the first meeting of the NER. I think it has transformed life of so many patients um, who are in absolute need, and it continues to do so with some of the most amazing technologies, technological innovations that are coming from in terms of materials, in terms of flexible electronics, and stuff that you folks are doing in terms of intraphysical electrodes to additional kind of electronics that would go and team up with the interfaces, etc. To make a final product, so therefore, I mean, yeah, but th- those are important things that I think we want to bring out uh, as part of the conversation here, as the contribution from the investigators who are part of the whole NER community. Yeah, I mean, you, you are right. If you think of the number of companies which uh, we have been co-created, and many other people, a huge number of companies, you know, I think Jojo can give us an extensive list of companies. Uh, created in the field, she knows everything, I think, and everybody, right? No, no, no. no. Almost. No, <laughs> no uh, almost. But, I mean, really, that's, I, I agree with you, Arun. It's really a very good sign that we are going in the right direction. If you want to, be in, to make an impact, you have to also, sooner or later, uh, have product going to market and to clinical application. And, yes, so def- definitely it's something you can see in the evolution of these 20 years. I do agree. Yeah, nothing to add there. Um, yeah, it's very important. So, um, and it, it's nice to see that those companies grow um, and that they survive, um, and that there is a clear differentiation. When I was was walking around over the first uh, trade fairs on those conferences in the first years, not only NER but others, uh, you have the usual suspects that that uh, sell wires for mice and rats and if they are really big shots they say sell sold wires for monkeys right and and this is changing so it's more and more the human application that is at least um, at the horizon and and that more and more companies uh, go ahead towards human applications and I think that's the important part um, Bioelectronics medicine is also part uh, which which uh, is inherited. So they, they are doing their own conferences, you know, like like children becoming independent. You have to do something on your own and then you come back to the family some years later. Um, probably we can hope that Sylvester and I can see that when we're getting really old, uh, that, that things are kind of reunifying. And I think that is also important to keep in mind not only to split up in all subdisciplines, but but find the common issues, the common interests, and, and join together, uh, really to have the strength uh, to change something. 
Well, and, and Thomas, in your definition of, of what it was like at the beginning of the, the conference and divining neural engineering and what was involved, you're essentially describing what the kids have taken off as their own and said, oh, look what we did. You're like, ah, that's cute. We already did that. It's, 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 um, it's still ice cream, but it's just a slightly different flavor. And it all tastes good. But and I think also in in addition to to GTX, which is now onward, and and Thomas, your company, Cortec, and the, and you have two others. I think it's great to see that. Just just another one. Just so, one so only two. Only two. You're you're that much of a glutton for punishment, which actually leads me to my next question: Was how did did you guys volunteer, or did you get roped into this, into into sharing the the conference? You know, it's it's a kind of. You always think, oh, wouldn't it that be nice that my name would be on the title page? Uh, something like that. Um, so it's a kind of volunteering, and then your name is 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 flying around, and um, and then it, it it just happened. So it's a kind of, of course, we all know we're we're old enough to know that this is a lot of work to chair such a company, but but on the other hand, it's it's a lot of honor. And it's a real pleasure to have a team with, and and Sylvester as co-chair, and that team is wonderful. All the program chairs, and um, I don't list now all the other honorable names for persons who spend a lot of leisure time uh, to make a conference great. You know, you're working on sponsoring JoJo. Um, we have others working on the mini symposia and and looking for promising young scientists and, and whatever. So there, there's an awesome team in the background and it's really fun. We're all on the same page and, and sometimes it's really funny coming in such such a Zoom call then uh, having a new topic on the list and we're more or less done in some minutes than with a general outline and then, then it's the work to, to fiddle things together that takes a bit longer. Um, but we never had disputes in in the program committee on the general line or the direction or or general statements how such a conference should look and feel and i think that's that's awesome and then then it really pays off so having said that i think the conference this year is extremely virtual right so how are you going to inculcate it, the it social could not be more virtual <laughs> I, exactly so how are you going to inculcate that family feeling of of going out and having that conversation and and engaging the people and having the interactions we, we created uh, um, a, uh, in the cadmium in the platform which is going to be used there will be the possibility to chat and create small rooms and discussions and these kind of things so i mean that's the only thing we can really do and the other thing honestly what we did also for example is to have Zoom meetings independently, I mean, kind of more flexible. So we added a bit more flexibility uh, because in this way, uh, people can use the, fle the flexibility in a different way and kind of in their own small family environment, if you want. But sorry for the small issue, but I wanted to comment also about the program, co the organizing committee. You know, it was a bit complicated uh, at the very beginning, you know, think about it. we were supposed to go to Sorrento for for a wonderful week uh, there in in May, and then it became suddenly virtual in the middle of the pandemic. So we had to re reschedule everything, rethink everything. Even you know, think about what what Jojo is doing about finding sponsors. I mean, a, a virtual sponsor is not the same as looking at a boot 
or this kind of thing. So you have to re reinvent everything. We are not the only one, all the conferences are doing. But what I really appreciated was that everybody in the specific role, we try to find a new way to, ad to make the conference staying as a family and being also a, a great success. So it was a lot of effort. You know, think we came with a diversity award, for example. Uh, so all these kind of things came out because there is a great group of people who are free of thinking. Uh, again, like in a family, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we, we, there, is the, there are discussions, but it's really the atmosphere we generate new ideas and involvement. So I'm very happy about that. So one of the, one of the things I, I need to stop, to, and just to make sure there's transparency, I am, I am a small part of the organizing committee on this, but I think you two misunderstand my role. I'm technically publicity, not sponsorship. So put that out there. But I am working on the sponsorship. It, but it, regardless, what I think needs to stop happening is I need to stop accepting volunteer roles for conferences that then change the venue because Doug Weber did it to me. He promised he'd get me to Pittsburgh, which is my NFL hometown. Didn't happen. He switched me to Arizona. And then you guys lured me out to Sorrento and uh, we're, we're going to be online. So when, this is one of my favorite conferences, so I won't give it up. But one of the things... I mean, Thomas, your your Gordon's conference was really the first, you know, big victim of COVID. I think you guys were last April, and it became clear. Yeah, that we had all, all the sponsorship assembled. All all speakers agreed. We had the conference fully booked, and then we shut it down. Um, yeah, I think two days before the official shutdown. So one year in now, we're we're going to be doing NER as a virtual platform as everybody else has been doing for the last year. Uh, what do you think, once things start to open up again, is, is this going to fundamentally change the way conferences are organized and attended, or are we going to go back to um, our, our old way of doing things? I think we, we will go back to some in-person conferences. But I could imagine that, that we have more hybrid aspects so that people could dial in, could listen to plenary talks um, from home, something like this, that there will be um, a small registration fee for um, coming in virtually, which, which would offer many persons who are not, uh, don't, can afford that traveling and can't afford all those very expensive hotels and, and stuff like this participation. And probably that, that brings up a bit more leveling out different regions, the economic north and the economic south in those conferences. That's still, we were not able to, to fully consider that so far. We thought it could be an option, but time was too short really to do proactive advertisement uh, let's say in the economic south, to to acquire those persons from other regions of the world who normally uh, are not able to travel. Might it be for for some visa restrictions for political reasons um, or for for poverty reasons? Um, I'm I'm still not sure if all countries will open their internets for something like this, but that would be my wish for the future that we can have for those who like to attend really that, that family feeling and the others are the uncle or the aunt who are not able to come to Thanksgiving and well, we just dial them in via Zoom or, or any other stuff. 
I, I do agree. I mean, clearly it's going to be physical again because we are, I mean, hum, humankind, human beings, we need it. But at the same time, you know, I've been traveling a lot, I've been traveling virtually, actually, ma making meetings a lot around the world in all the possible countries, giving um, my talk. And it, it was fascinating, you know, the number of people joining in developing countries, I mean, discussing new students, a lot of questions. That's something we should keep, you know, giving, as Thomas was saying, giving these people the opportunity, of course, to join. You can have uh, travel grants and these kind of things, but for how many people? I mean, not many, but you can have them listening to the keynote speak, uh, speakers of, of a big conference in a very, in a reasonably cheap way. And that's really something we should keep in a way or another in the future, because, I mean, at the end, the technology now is there, right? I mean, we had to, to run and create it or, I mean, facilitate it, improve it. And now we can use it at least for this. I'm, I'm sure it will be, in Italy, we say blended, you know, this kind of hybrid solution. It's going to be probably in this Yeah, way. and I think especially in terms of just improving access to people uh, across the world, because I think I always found that uh, especially if you're not from, uh, if you if you're a U.S. student, traveling to Europe on a U.S. grant is much more difficult. And then if you're from the rest of the world, if you're not from U.S. or U.K. or Europe, traveling to one of these destinations for a conference is even more incredibly difficult because you have to sort out visa, you have to sort out a lot of other things. So therefore, the hybrid approach that you kind of suggest there is possibly going to be the way forward just so that we can engage in and we can we can still maintain access in terms of scientific information dissemination to all the interested people out there and to also, more importantly, as teachers and, and scientists in the area, we want to catalyze the activation a bit more. Uh, and I think that would be a great way to do it. So for all the, given that you both are extremely experienced in the area, either out of design or out of out of out of um, sheer hard work, um, do you, for all the younger folks starting out in the area, do you want to kind of how do they they bring themselves to actually help the organizing committee or? get involved in actually being able to do that because uh, you folks probably followed a certain type of template that you might probably inform some of your younger trainees, etc. But what exactly should they be building uh, in their repertoire that they, they can ultimately bring to bear uh, like both of you to be able to organize conferences like this in the future? Thomas, you want to start? <laughs> Yeah, I can. Uh, if I would have a template, I would sell it for a lot of money. Uh, so, so there was. I think the first thing that is really important: um, be curious, be brave, just be there. If you have something to share as research results, hand in an abstract, hang, hand, write something down, convince your boss that you should travel by yourself and that you should create your network. And networking works uh, by being there. I think that's the most important thing. And if, you, if you're already there, you did half the work. You know, all the older guys know each other and they tap on their shoulders, they hug each other, they drink a beer and probably they get bored. And so everybody of us is really happy if we get asked some questions, you know, or if you if you just stand by while we are chatting and chat with us. 
So we, everybody is a human. So, and everybody wants to socialize. So, um, I think that's, that's the most important thing just to, to get in contact and don't be shy to ask questions. And there is no stupid question around ask whatever comes to your mind. And then you will see after the third or fourth conferences, uh, that it's not about being an expert, but it's about being there, meeting friends and exchanging ideas. And from that point on, you, you, for some reason or the other, you might slide in into some networks and connections and then um, you're the natural born mini symposium organizer or you get an idea of what you want to show and what you want to organize and, and then you're in. I can't believe I was ever afraid of you. <laughs> it's, it really actually, that's a, that's a perfect demonstration of, I, I was intimidated by you and you couldn't be more welcoming and gracious with your time. And we've, we've gone on and had several beers together. And um, so I, I can, I can personally attest to you know, how genuine you are. Jojo, jo, sorry, I just realized that you never wanted to have a beer with me. So now it's becoming personal. Huh? <laughs> Now, now, oh, I come on. I no, must okay. no, 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 I got it. I got the message. I got it fine. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. More feed. I'm kidding. More, of course, but more, more feed. I'm waiting for Limoncello. That's ah, nice. that's a very good idea. That's something I do love, by the way. I can, I can also do it. Huh? I, you can try. Oh, we can make a competition. You try, you taste mine and uh, I taste yours. What's about that? Limoncello. Uh, I have a. I have a full bar right here, but no, let me tell. I'll work on that for <laughs> you this good. weekend. Though. No, but I mean, I do agree with Thomas. You know, I, at, at least uh, what I what I did when I was young was to try contact people. Uh, I mean, make questions. Uh, I mean, I still remember the first time I met Jose Principe. I mean, for me, it was really kind of, I, you know, I mean, it is a wonderful guy. And we spent, uh, as you said, you know, one hour chatting. Uh, it was a summer school actually of organized by Sergio Ciruti. So I really enjoyed that. And you know, the, the moment that I sent an email, I was really, I mean, more than 20 years ago to Felix Zayak, you know, in Stanford, the, the, the musculoskeletal modeling guy. And you know, he replied in a, such a kind way, sending, sending all the, so I mean, do that. I mean, and uh, maybe we, we are going to miss one email. We try not to, but it could happen. Do it again, and during the conference, try to create your own network with old people like us, or maybe with other youngsters. You know, th there are still people that I met uh, 20 years ago, and we are still friends. We have projects together, and Thomas is a perfect example. Now we are kind of middle age, let's say. But when we started uh, working together, we we were in the kindergarten, more, more or less. We were 20, 25 something. So, I mean, you create your own network and then in, with the network, you can grow up. You can have projects together. In Europe, we have, all, I guess, also in the US, a lot of collaborative projects. So try to create your own network uh, with friendship, uh, drinking beers. Maybe Thomas does not remember, but the idea of the time electrode came during a dinner between the two of us, Javier Navarro and Ken Yoshida, we had a lot of fun, a lot of drinking and eating, and you guys wrote uh, the idea of the of the time electrode on a napkin. So this is something which really happens, and I can tell you other stories, but it will be too long. But the message is, when you have fun with other scientists, you can create a network and have new ideas. So I agree, don't be shy. 
try and uh, we are humans we don't bite yes so silvestro i think you know the reason why we are called scraps right it's exactly for that reason because it's basically sparks of brilliance spelled backwards and you write ideas on scraps of paper so it's basically Barnett. yeah and, and and if a non english speaking person wrote scraps they would actually write the way they would not know whether to use a c or a k so therefore we just thought we'll just have a typo in our name but it also seemed like spark spelled backwards so that is exactly the, the type of things that that we want to capture anyway so that's fantastic that you brought, that you gave that example which by the way is one of the most influential uh neural interface designs of of the last uh, kind of century given that it was discovered in the last century yes. silvestro in terms of what you did in terms uh, so we'll just date ourselves with that conversation now i now uh, we feel really old yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, with this sentence about me too and i'm not even that old as old. you people so you guys just got to um, relax a little bit <laughs> so one question we we do get quite a bit is and and it, it's it sounds a little trite but it's it's actually a genuine question which is being where we are now in our advanced old ages according to Arun here what what advice would you give your earlier professional self uh i would say go for something uh, new so i mean there are many new things uh, what i try to say is clearly uh maybe i'm wrong but my feeling is we are kind of the, at the hype uh, of the use of uh, something which was invented in the last century right so i mean the technology the idea we are now exploiting was created 10 or 15 or 20 years ago so clearly for example new technologies uh i mean working more on opto- optogenetics for for humans in the future uh, or ultrasound uh, Uh, interference these kind of things could really be so new interface new way to to create neuromodulation and clearly you know uh, arun you also know that i'm crazy about bioelectronic medicine i think this is going to be a huge revolution because if you start thinking about uh, diabetes you know we have now a, a project on a heart transplantation and you know i, I mean i shouldn't we are getting results which are in in animals of course it's very preliminary but you know they are incredible i mean in principle we could uh, find something that could change really the life of these people so try to come with new applications i don't want to say that we did everything with amputees eh? there is plenty of things you can do in the next 20 years i mean we are not a, a luke skywalker clearly but uh, new application you know think about infertility obesity osteoporosis uh, cancer I mean, what you can do with bioelectronic medicine is, is mind blowing in some way right uh, so i would say new technologies for neuromodulation and new application yeah it's 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 hard to add something um i completely agree probably a good advice uh this is meant a little bit ironic um remember that there has been good literature before the year 2000 so always good um to go backwards to the original papers and not the review that cites the review that cites the review um this is probably something um that really helps get that pi- pioneering spirit to find the first paper that was really the original work to that 
So in my PhD thesis, I'm not that old, but I cited one from 1899. Um, so, <laughs> um, and I mean, that, that combination of, of, of having fundamental knowledge about the, the basics and, and a spirit that goes far beyond the crazy science fiction literature, that is probably that what, what drives the future. Can I say one additional thing for that, Thomas? I mean, especially, uh, as I said, my background is in physiology, right? So for all the things that currently people are looking at in the bioelectronic medicines, including some of the concepts that have been pioneered in the late 90s, early 2000s that are currently shown as poster childs, a lot of those examples dates back to the late 70s. And then some of the older literature basically dates back to the 40s and the 50s. So I think my request, and maybe this is something that the whole NER community can possibly curate, is to actually have a repository of the links to the original articles. I know that getting PDFs, etc. might be infringing copyrights, but basically having a repository of some of the seminal papers on the the neural engineering uh, website that would ultimately lead for a given topic would be a fantastic way to actually have the younger um, scientists kind of access this information because I think it's 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 something that is not readily available and most people go to the most recent review. And I, I do agree, Arun, if I may. Uh, I was mentioning the Dubrovnik conference and, you know, I guess not not many people know that uh, but when I was in Olborg in Denmark for my PhD, uh, there was Dejan Popovic, one of my maestros. And Dejan came to me and told come here, come here. You, know, you think you are smart, huh? come here. And then he showed me the, the proceeding of the 62 uh, Dubrovnik conference when it was the drawing of what I was doing. <laughs> so clearly, what, one of the things we should do, of course, the technology was not there yet, but the concept uh, it was right, was already there of, of many things, the idea behind. So maybe something we should really do as a community is to build this repository. Uh, it's a very good idea, you know, to come with something which is, uh, I mean, for young people, even something 2005, it's quite old already. Eh? But I would say taking the, the, the history of neuroprosthetics from the very beginning or even coming from physiology, as you were saying, I think that's something we should maybe think about for the 2023 mm -hmm. Is it still considered a paper if it was written on a stone tablet? Uh, I have to ask my supervisor. <laughs> Paolo will kill me. Paolo will kill me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Paolo, I love you. It's a, joke. It's a stupid joke. No, but... Uh, as long as it's... It's 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 in English or in a language that at least somebody can translate it, and it's not in hieroglyphics. I think we yes, are fine. I agree. We should still call but it. But even hieroglyphic, you can try. I mean, it could be kind of. Uh... So, I I think if if you guys want to just give us a quick pitch on on NER and when it is and the the registration information, so we get that out there. Uh, yes, it will be virtual May four, May six, so in few weeks. You can go on the on the conference uh, webpage, which is neuro.embc.com, uh, I guess, and you can get all the information about the registration. Remember, the early bird is going to end on March 22, 
uh, we are going to have, we we had 500 papers submitted we are going to have 40 parallel sessions a lot of cool stuff diversity as i said so remember it is a great opportunity to create or to enter in a family right and uh, we are also happy if you register after uh, March 22nd because then you have to pay more money and we get more money to make the conference even better um, if this is too expensive for your supervisor you can convince him or her to pay you the uh, IEEE EMBS uh, annual fee and then it gets cheaper and even smarter yeah that's a very good side because what we did intentionally is to facilitate people to get the membership and take a reduction in the fee. So that's maybe something people want to consider. Even I'm a member and I'm not an engineer, but I always find and actually you're on the you're on the editorial board of the EMBS Pulse. Is that right, Silvestro? I was. I mean I'm not sure I'm I'm still, but yes, I was one actually it changed the name with me and and um, and Michael Newman uh, many years ago. Uh, and uh, you know, this was another very cool, ex and I have to thank people like Metin again and Paolo Bonato, who invited me to join uh, EMBC, the family, when I was coming back from, from MIT, and I really enjoyed that. So, I mean, again, my suggestion is join the conference, but join also the society. There are many things that volunteers can do to make the society working better, and you can learn more things, you can meet cool people, so do that. I enjoyed that. Right. Now, as promised, IEEE is extending the early bird registrations for a limited number of registrants. Use code SCRAPSNER21, all caps. I repeat, the code is SCRAPSNER21 and register at neuro.embs.org. Thank you both. And we really appreciate your time and we look forward to to checking out NER in May. And we'll put all the registration information in the show notes so that people can um, can can get involved. Thanks a lot. It was super, super cool. And uh, thanks for the, the funny question, the interesting question, the time together. And of course, again, when we meet both of you, Limoncello for everybody. Yeah. Yeah? was a pleasure. And thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. ciao. Bye, 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 guys. Thanks for listening. Please share the love by sharing the stories you heard, but more importantly, spreading the word about where you heard this information and recommending that your friends and family listen to this podcast. All interviews and soundtracks you heard belong to Scraps, a brand jointly owned by Jojo Platt and Arun Sridhar. Our soundtrack was Digger by Acid Dan, and you can find their collections on all the music apps. Remember to share this podcast. It's Scraps with a K and Sparks spelled backwards. Okay, 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 okay.